0: You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. We are continuing in our series, um, This House. And what we're doing is just saying, hey, as a church, where is Living Grace going? What are we doing? What's our mission? Where are we headed? How are we doing it? Um, and so here in this series, we are talking about it. Last week, we talked about making disciples. We talked about the idea of a call to discipleship, how this isn't, like we talked about the holy man myth, how this wasn't just for the clergy, just for the people who are paid, but making disciples is what Christ died for us to do. It is our it is our, a sign of obedience that we make disciples. And so we are continuing in this series, and we're looking at, As a church, how, I mean, ideally, my my goal for this church is that we keep it simple, that we don't make it complicated for those wanting to follow Christ, we don't make it complicated. As we gather on Sundays and and we worship the Lord and, and we come, but eventually one day as well, right, we will be, my goal is that we will be a church of house churches, meaning that we will have many gatherings from Flint to White House to Chapel Hill to North Tyler, South Tyler, North of Gentry, South of Gentry, where we have people gathering in homes, proclaiming the name of Jesus, fellowshipping with one another as we saw in the early church. This is what we're headed towards. This is what we're working towards as a church. Um, so, like I said, last week we talked about making disciples. And our mission, uh, if you want to throw it up there, is that we exist to glorify God by enjoying Him and making disciples who make disciples. If you missed last week, we have a podcast up where you could go listen to last week's sermon and the sermons prior to that. But this week we're going to focus mainly on the enjoying Him It says, we exist to glorify God by enjoying him. And so we need to talk about what does it mean to enjoy God. And so let us pray for a moment and then we will figure out what it means to enjoy God. And we will be in Psalm 16. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to enjoy you. We thank you, Father, that we get to come alongside you and into this mission of making disciples, to make your name known throughout the the whole earth. Uh, But Lord, specifically here in Tyler, that we wouldn't think so large and miss our neighbors. And so Lord, I ask that you would help us, that you would enlighten us on the people that we need to invite into a discipleship relationship where we simply tell them, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Or if that, well, we can't do that, then God, we would make it even simpler than that. But Lord, give us boldness. Give us courage. But God, that we would do it out of a place, Father, where we are so in love with you and enjoying you so much and so satisfied with you uh, that we can do this without a problem. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to be uh, in Psalm 16, so if you want to go to your Bibles, this is kind of where we're going to reference back to and from uh, throughout. We're going to go through a lot of scripture, but this is one of the passages that, um, when it comes to enjoying God, I feel like this passage does a great job in explaining it. So David wrote this, and we'll start in verse 1. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or death. Uh, or let your holy one see corruption you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore such a great verse 16 uh, verse 11 so how do we enjoy God, right? That's the question. How do we enjoy God? How do you in your daily life enjoy God on a daily basis as you go about, whether you're at work, you're at home, uh, wherever it may be, that how do you, how do we enjoy God? And so we enjoy God, I, and my, I believe is this, that we enjoy God when we are most satisfied in him, right? We enjoy God, this is what I'm gonna try to prove to you today, We enjoy God when we are most satisfied in him, when he brings us our most satisfaction, when he is our greatest joy, when he is our supreme treasure. Another way to say it is this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our life brings most glory to God when we find, when we are most satisfied in him when our greatest satisfaction and when he is our greatest treasure. So I'll say it one more time. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so to prove this to you, we're going to look at four areas that are affected when we enjoy God. And the four areas of this is we when enjoying God, it affects these four areas, our ability to enjoy this world, right? So it affects our ability to enjoy this world. It affects our ability to enjoy people that we love and, and, and enjoy the people themselves. It affects our ability to fight sin. When we enjoy God and we truly enjoy God, it'll affect us in a good way, our ability to fight sin. And lastly, it will affect our ability to suffer well, right? I heard an old, 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 old dead guy from like 300s. He said, my job is to prepare my people to die well and to suffer well is what he said. And I've held on to that, right? Because we as Christians are not exempt from suffering, but we will go through suffering. So, and I'll talk more of that later. So, but before we dive into those four areas, I wanted to lay down some important groundwork. So Psalm 16, verse 1, he tells us, and while you find that, I'll read it from here. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So Psalm 61, David is saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David prays, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David recognizes that God is the one who is completely sovereign, right? Completely in control completely sovereign, there is no sort of voting or not voting. God is the number one person in control. And there is not a single rebel molecule in this world that he is not in control of. And it's important. I know I've mentioned this quite a bit, but you you name the situation, you name the thing, God is in control of it, right? You think Ukraine, God is in control. You think COVID, God is in control. You think your life, God is in control. You think cancer, God is in control. You name anything. And I will tell you, promise you, that Jesus, that our Lord and Savior, is in complete control. He's in complete control of all of it. And Proverbs twenty-one, one tells us this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? We have our plans, but it is the Lord's that will stand. Psalm one hundred three nineteen. the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This should bring a sense of confidence that the God we serve is this God who controls kings, who controls plans, who his purpose is the greatest purpose. And it comes through no matter what happens. And this is important for us to lay down this, fr- this framework to understand what it means to enjoy God because when that is your foundation, the Bible gets very clear. Uh, A long time ago, I went on a trip to West Texas, and it was the first time I grew up in the city, grew up in Houston. There's pollution everywhere. There's lights everywhere. It's literally, you don't see stars. It's rare that you ever see stars, but I went to West Texas on a road trip one time. We were doing some ministry, and I go out in the middle of the night, and I could see everything, And I was, I was, this city boy was in awe because I was able to see everything in front of me at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, as if the sun was up because there were so many stars in the sky. And if you didn't know, one of the darkest, the darkest sky, they somehow they rate it, but the darkest skies in America actually are here in Texas at Big Bend National Park. So if you ever want to see stars at its brightest, I have yet to go and I can't wait to go one day. But Big Bend National Park is has the darkest skies, which means you can see the brightest stars there in Big Bend. But let's say we take a road trip to Big Bend. All right. Let's say we take a road trip and we're in multiple vans, and so we're going and it's really dusty and dirty. And so we get there, and I'm like, Look, guys, we can't get out because, right, the Rangers are like, Hey, a lot of wild animals, don't get out of the vans. We're like, Okay, we're good Christians, we obey, and we don't get out of the van. And we go, and I'm like, Look at the stars. And you're like, Yeah, yeah, I can kind of see them, right? I can kind of see the stars. And and I'm like, "What, What do you mean? He's like, Well, you, we drove to that mud pit, and there's mud on the windows, and, and I kind of see it's kind of dirty. Can you like slosh the you know windshield wipers to make it clear? And you're like, but but you're missing. It. I'm like, you don't you don't you're missing the whole point. Is right? You're missing the idea of seeing these beautiful stars in the sky. And what I believe is that when you understand God's sovereignty and as you read the Bible, it's like looking through the clearest windshield, clearest mirror or clearest uh, window, you could see the stars in the sky. Right. So I'll explain a little further. When you read the Bible and you understand God's sovereignty and you understand that he is rule rules all you see his ability to change kings, you see his ability to change nature, you see his ability to do all of the things that you see in Scripture and you see it as him being sovereign, is that it makes reading scripture all the more enjoyable, and you can see it clearly. You can see God in his character when you understand his sovereign, because here's here's where it could go wrong. Let's say you read the story of David and Goliath, and you miss God's sovereignty, Maybe you think in that story of David and Goliath, that Goliath is your boss at work, right? And that you got to have enough faith in that sling. And if you got to sling at your boss, and maybe that boss will go away if you have enough faith in God, right? Or maybe it's, you know, there's cancer in your life. And if you have just enough faith, and you got to be like David, and you got to sling that stone, you got to keep praying, then maybe God will get rid of that cancer that in your eyes is the Goliath. Right. But the problem with that whole story and that whole thing is that in that story, we are not David and our problem is not Goliath. Right. Who are we? We're the scared Israelites. We're the Israelites who needed to be rescued by David, by Jesus, who was the greater David. And what did Jesus do? He conquered sin and death, which was the greater Goliath. So you see, when you read scripture with you as the hero and not from the view of who is God in the story and who am I, who is the weak one who needs to be rescued, then you miss out completely on God's character and his goodness. And you're not really enjoying the Bible. You're enjoying your ability to look like the hero. So this is why it's important to lay this groundwork of God's sovereignty, of placing God, acknowledging him for who he is in the story in our lives and not us as the hero and we're just using God as a means to an end. So when we acknowledge his sovereignty, it reminds us that we serve an infinite, self-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere God. And this should bring confidence and steadiness in any situation. That my God is all-powerful, so I I can go through this situation. This allows us to count trials as pure joy because we know something good will come out of it and for God's glory, right? Because we know who God is. And this sets us up for the foundation for living a life of genuine enjoyment. But the only way we know his sovereignty, the only way we know his character is by scripture and prayer, Right. I could preach a whole sermon on why reading the Bible is so important. I could re- preach a whole series on prayer. And one day we will preach a series on prayer. And we will, in this church, like I said, my dream is that we are a praying, disciple making church more than anything. And above that, right, is that we have prayer meetings and we're seeing people, we see some amazing things because we're getting on our knees and praying to the Lord. This is what we're going for. This is where we're headed as a church. But Psalm 1 tells us this. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And Psalm 119, 92 through 93 tells us this. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts or a rule of life, for by them you have given me life. You cannot have a life of enjoying God. You cannot have a life of saying you enjoy God and not be in scriptures daily. Cannot. You cannot enjoy God and not know who he really is, right? Because you can't enjoy a God whom you don't know. And you can't, you know, if you don't know a God, then you're not going to be able to get through any situation because you don't know who this God is. You're just, going over, you're just going off of what I tell you or what some preacher on Instagram tells you, you know, as you're scrolling through. And you don't know yourself, you see, one of the objections that people tell me when, they, when I tell them, hey, you've got to read the Bible, is they say, well, the problem is I don't remember what I read. I don't remember the things that I read, and, and so it's like I feel like I'm not really reading it, so you know what, I'm not going to read it all together." And the thing is, is like, let me ask you this. That's what I tell somebody. When somebody tells me this, I tell them this. I'm like, can you tell me what you ate three weeks ago for lunch and then dinner that night? Can you tell me six months ago what you ate for lunch that day? How about 14 months? And they're like, I don't know, a sandwich, went to Chick fil A, you know, I don't know. I checked my receipts and I'm like, okay, you can't remember, but it sustained you, right? But you're alive. And in the same way as that you are spiritually feeding yourself every single day and the scriptures are are allowing you to stay alive and you're able to combat and face the things of this world and know who God is because you're reading it and you may not remember. I do not remember every single thing that I read in scripture, but it doesn't mean that the Lord isn't going to use it for his glory or bring it back to mind later when I need it, right? And so this is why reading scripture is so important. You see, the goal... It's not that God's the goal is that God's word is not a duty, but it is a delight. But sometimes the obligation, the feeling of I have to do this because I need this has to come first. And eventually that obligation, that duty that you are so struggling with will become a delight because it'll be a habit and you'll be able to, you know, go to scripture every single day as a habit and not so much forcing yourself. Sometimes you don't love it, but after a while you will. Why? Because it has fed you and nourished you and kept you. And so let's talk about prayer. You see, a good prayer life rests on knowing God is sovereign, right? Why would you pray to a God who isn't in complete control? right? Why pray to this God, right? If you don't really understand that God is sovereign, then your prayers are pointless, Right. And sometimes people feel that way. Right. Like, well, I do know God is in control, but I still feel like my prayers are pointless. But the thing is, is that the prayers, a lot of times God is using our prayers to shape us and not so much the situations around us. Meaning that, you know, one of my favorite quotes is every minute in prayer. You've heard me say this before, but every minute in prayer is a minute saying, God, I need you in this situation. And every minute out of prayer is saying, God, I can handle this situation on my own. And so what does prayer do is that it shapes us, is that every time that we get on our knees, every time that we pray, even if it seems meaningless, is that we are training ourselves to say, I cannot handle this on my own and I need God to help me with it. And so I'm going to pray no matter if I believe it or not, because I'm trying to believe that God is in control. And so prayer shapes us. Scriptures shape us. They renew our mind. They help us. The Spirit will use these things to get us to where we can enjoy God daily through this. Right. And one of the easiest ways is that, or one of the things I understand is that prayer and scripture go hand in hand. I like to say that it's like breathing in and breathing out, right? You, you read the scripture and you're breathing in this knowledge, you're getting this knowledge, but then you pray and you, you're praying out the same thing. So if you go back to Psalm 1, uh, a simple thing is this. Let, or Go to the next slide, uh, if you can, Ethan. thank you. So it says, oh, never mind, go back to Psalm one. sorry. I'll just read it off my uh, notes. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is very practical, but I'm trying to help you to understand prayer and scripture, and I get a little bit of time with y'all each week, so I'm trying to help y'all. But to pray, so I say breathe in, breathe out, because one of the easiest ways that you can pray and read at the same time is this. You read a passage like this, says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, way of sinners, seat of scoffers. And you pray a sample. Here's an example prayer. God, help me to not walk in the counsel of the wicked. God, help me to not stand in the way of sinners. Lord, help me to not sit in the seat of scoffers. But instead, Lord, let my delight be in your word. Teach me to meditate on it day and night. Teach me to love your word more than I love anything else. Teach me to run to your word first before I check Instagram or my email or Facebook in the morning or before I go to bed. Lord, let me be this blessed man. Right? So in this moment, you read this passage and then you pray the passage back to God and it's in God's will. And it's the amazing thing is that God will do that. He will start to make you like the blessed man who doesn't walk in the way of sinners. And you'll start to get wisdom on who to be with and not to be with. And so this is not completely the servant of enjoying God, but it's very helpful in laying the groundwork on enjoying God daily. You have to have a life of prayer and you have to have a life of reading scripture. So now that our foundation is laid, let's talk about how being satisfied in God affects our ability to enjoy this world. So in Romans 1, Paul, we're going to go to Romans, Paul starts and he starts this argument of why the gospel was needed. So Romans 1, Paul is saying, hey, this is why the gospel is needed and I'm going to lay it out in the first three chapters. And then he talks about Abraham and the promise coming through Abraham and then eventually he gets to the wrestling of sin and then the, the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. But here in chapter 1, this is important because I believe that our ability to be satisfied in God affects the way that we enjoy this world, meaning that the things of this world, and I'll probably repeat this again, but the things of this world were given to us to enjoy. But what is our problem is that we start to enjoy the things of this world more than the God who created them, right? And this is where the people of all the world went wrong and why Paul writes this. So Paul, Romans 1, 18 through 25, he says this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So what was the issue? The people weren't satisfied with God right but rather in his creation they worshiped and served the creature the created rather than the creator right how much time do we spend wanting the things of this world or wanting God to give us more things not to get closer to him but so that our life on this earth can be better right god give me a new job god give me this god fix this god if you would just do this right and all the time it's not so deep down right is subconsciously we're probably not like hey it's because i want to get to know you more i want to spend closer more time with you. I want to enjoy you more. No, no. It's God, I want to enjoy your things. I want to enjoy this world, and I don't care about the world to come, right? And you may not say that, but our lifestyle choices would say that very clearly, right? The ability for us to go into debt for things that have no everlasting, you know, feature or they don't last at all right no eternal reward whatsoever but we waste money and go into the debt go into debt for to consume things that are here for a minute and gone forever right we consume so much and it's not to get closer to our God so what are we doing we're exchanging the truth for a lie we're saying God I think I'll find more satisfaction in your creation rather than in you so give me more of your stuff I mean that's just what that's what we do right we all do it. We all fall short. And so what does it look like if we enjoy this world and these things in a way of a place from being satisfied in God? It's like this, right? Where let's say you walk outside and you see one of my favorite things to stand on my back deck in the morning and there's a there's a Mexican restaurant called Ruby's. I don't know if y'all have eaten there, but Ruby's, I think the owners and they cook some of the catering like to like a house down. And so in the mornings, all the smell, whatever they're cooking that day just hits my deck. And then the, the sun is shining. Right. And, and like the birds are like just singing and it, like the breeze is nice. Like it, it's real. And you see that I have tons of trees in my backyard like and it's just a beautiful view and sure I'm in the middle of Tyler, but I love to look at it. Right. But the problem is that for most people is they go to the, backyard and they just miss all of this stuff completely right because it serves no purpose for them right like i'm not going to look at the trees what are the trees going to do for me i'm not going to look at the listen to the birds why do i care about the birds right we spend we go outside and pull our phones out because we're like we don't want to enjoy this creation rather we enjoy what we can put in front of our hands what we want to look at right and so the way that you enjoy it is when you stand outside and you see this creation is that you don't see trees you see god's handiwork You see the difference that every single tree is so different, that the barks are different, that the limbs move out in different places. Not a single tree is the same on this earth, and it's so crazy to think about that, right? To think about, and then the, the birds, though a lot of them look alike, that they're still different, and yet they're singing, and, and, and they're, do, they're giving glory to God by being birds, and then you, you smell the amazing food that's coming, and you want to go eat it, or you go eat a burger, right? And you take a bite, and instead of saying, oh, I need more of this, more of this, you, you take a bite, and you enjoy it, and you say, God, I thank you that you gave man the ability to combine these ingredients and make this beautiful burger make this beautiful steak and you enjoy it by giving glory to God saying, God, you knew what you were doing. When you created this, and we're giving him honor, we're giving him glory, and the things of this world are meant for us to enjoy, but we don't stop at the thing. We say, God, I thank you for this thing. I thank you, the fact that I have technology to find my way around Tyler, because it would take me a lot longer to get used to this place if it wasn't for Google Maps, right? Like, I, people have to draw me maps, or I have to pull out a key map and figure out which way to go, right? But yet, technology, but if I fall in love more with the phone, Right then then I'm missing God altogether. But instead, it's, God, I thank you that I have technology. God, I thank you that I can enjoy the things of this world and not become a glutton for these things and just try to consume and consume. Because when you do that, you're showing, hey, God, I need more of this stuff in order to be comforted. I need more of these things in order to be satisfied. But God's saying, I'm right here, and I'll give you full satisfaction. And so when we enjoy this world... This is what we're able to do. And then then this line of reasoning leads us to what the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Right? Because we are amazed at the creator of the universe who created every tree to look so different and be different and grow differently. Yet he knows us and created us too. And so the satisfied person sees the world, enjoys the world, knowing his or her father in heaven has given it to them so they can see how much he loves them and provides for them. We see that in every day, right, with the birds, right? You see a bird and they're every day, they're tweeting and they're they're singing. And it's because God has provided food for them. And how much more will he provide for us, right? So it's like you can live a satisfied, enjoying life by just looking at creation. All right, number two. How being satisfied in God affects our ability to enjoy and love people. You see, Psalm 16, verse 3, David writes, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So the question you have to ask yourself is this today. Do you see the people sitting in this room as saints? Do you see them as excellent? And do you delight in them? Right? Do you delight in their brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, I tell you this, I told you before, but like we were saved into the body of Christ, right? So without Jesus, none of us would have ever known each other, but because of Christ, we now can gather in a room with a common cause and say, we want to see Tyler immersed and saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want every man, woman, and child to be discipled and to know his goodness and his mercy and to be able to enjoy God, right? This is what we all want together. But if it wasn't for Jesus then we wouldn't be able to get to know each other and love each other and, and be able to experience life with one another and do community because it helps us realize that people aren't a means to an end, right? But rather, they were created in God's image, right? Because most of the time, if somebody doesn't serve a purpose for us, if we don't see what's in it for us, we're not, we don't care to get to know this person, We don't care to give them the time of day. We don't care to to help them out if they've never helped us. It's like, right, say, hey, why don't you help them? Well, what have they done for me, right? That's our initial reaction, and that shouldn't be a reaction. Why? Because in a satisfied understanding of God, we understand that those people are gifts of god that they were made in the image of god that our family that we can't stand sometimes that annoys us right that we know that they are gifts from god right that when my son is going crazy and i'm tired i can say god help me in this situation because elisha is a gift from you and i don't want to miss that while he's growing up right no matter what he's doing what he did what he broke what he got into Right, so I'm able to enjoy and love on Elisha because I know God has given him to me. And so I can rest in that and say, okay, God, help me to love him because this is somebody made in your image. But it also helps us to forgive. Because being satisfied allows us to see that people ultimately are sinning against God and not really just us. Right, that's important. Because When somebody sins against you and hurts your feelings and backstabs you or whatever it was, is that ultimately they are sinning against God and not just you. And this is important. Why? Because we have been hurt, yes, but they have a much bigger problem with God they need to deal with. We forgive them because we want them to know God has forgiveness waiting for them too right? It's a different perspective. When you see this person is made in God's image and they sin against you and you're like, why should I forgive them? It's because ultimately they have a God problem that they're in debt to God, that they sinned against a holy God and they are, you know, he is there waiting with his wrath. And so you don't want them to face God's wrath, right? You instead want them to find forgiveness just as you have found forgiveness in God. And so we forgive people because sure, they hurt us. But they did way more to our Father in heaven, who is holy and did nothing against them. And yet they sin. Point number three. How being satisfied in God affects our ability to sin. I believe sin is ultimately saying, God, my way is better than the one that you have for me. Right? That's what sin is. Right? Look at the garden. I, don't, I, don't, I shouldn't obey that. I should eat this apple. I should eat this fruit because obviously I think this way is better than the, the one rule that you gave us was not to eat the apple, right? So sin is ultimately saying, God, my way is better than what you have for me. So if you aren't satisfied in God's timing, in God's way of life, God himself, it leads us to make really, really dumb decisions on a daily basis that we most of the time regret later on. And so what would it look like to enjoy God and be satisfied in him? What would our life look like whenever it comes to sin and temptation? We see that the only way to beat sin is to love something more than we love that sin, right? Because deep down, we, we enjoy sin, right? Like, Like, it's not like, it's not like something that somebody has to force you to do, right? Sin is natural for us. We enjoy, you know, cutting people off. We enjoy getting revenge. We enjoy lashing out sometimes, right? Like, we, in that moment, there's a sense of feeling that just feels good, like, yeah, you know, I got my way. But we know later on, right, that that was a complete waste. And we know later on that it did nothing for our witness to Jesus Christ. And so we, we enjoy sin, but My, what I would say is that when you enjoy God, who is infinite who won't ever let you down, who is all-knowing, who, who isn't like this thing, like, you know, this, whatever it was, this one night, this thing that you're like, it's just one time, it's just one thing, let me just waste time on it, and then it leaves you feeling empty later on. The fact is that God never leaves us feeling empty when we chase after him and we love him more. Why? Because he loves us back. Because he is for us. He isn't just trying to use us. But instead, when we love God more than we love our sin, we defeat sin almost every single time every time. Any temptation loses its power because we say, no, I have an all-satisfying God that I love more than anything on this earth, and this sin cannot bring me more joy or comfort than what I get from God myself. But where's the problem? We find no comfort, we find no joy, we find no satisfaction in God, and so we run to everything else in this earth to find it instead. And the last one, if I get Reuben to come up here, is how being satisfied In God affects our ability to suffer well. So we live in a world affected by sin. Yes, God is in complete control and God is completely sovereign, but also man is responsible for a lot of really wicked things on this earth. Right? A lot of wicked things. You can name it. Holocaust, wars, I mean, just men's, you know, issues with one another, not able to forgive, not able to deal with things, and men and women. And so because of that, we have faced so many problems because of men. But also, this world is broken and because of sin as well with sickness, right? Is that how many people have had these awful sicknesses, diagnoses, that that it's just like the worst news whatsoever and it's not because of caused by anything else by the fact that we live in a broken world needing to be redeemed by God right we live in this world we live in this world where any moment we go to a doctor and we don't know what we're going to hear we think it's a checkup and then we hear we have five months left right we don't know but when we are satisfied in God when God is our supreme treasure Right when we meditate on his law day and night, when we see his hand throughout the world among us, right? we see his handiwork, when we see the gift of the family he has given us, then when we suffer more than when we've suffered before, when we're sad, when we're broken, hopeless, sick, in the midst of that suffering, how much more can we remind ourselves that our God sees us, is with us, and will be with us the whole time? Right? If, if you can go and look Right? And, and whatever worry and stress that you have on your mind, you can go, right? Jesus says, go look at the birds. That's what he says. Go look at the birds and see, I take care of them. How much more you? How much more his children? Yes, it's a creative thing, but the creative thing was to give glory to God and for us to enjoy. But we can suffer well when Jesus is our greatest satisfaction. We can remind ourselves that God will get us through it. Or we will be with him in glory. That's right? so why I always quote Paul when he says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So there's this moment where it's like, if I get to live and I get to live my life, then it'll all be for Christ. But if I die through this suffering, and Paul suffered more than any of us could ever imagine the suffering that he went through that we'll never probably go through what he did. And yet he was able to say, but to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. He said, it'll be worth it. And so how do we remind ourselves of this. It goes back to the scriptures. First Peter 5.10 tells us this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered a little while is what Peter says. Romans 5.3-5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, right? When's the last time you rejoiced in suffering, period, right? But why do we rejoice in sufferings? Paul says, because we know that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings as Christians because we are satisfied in Christ. And if you're not satisfied in Christ, then you cannot rejoice in sufferings because you think that your suffering is pointless when it's not. Any suffering, any trial, any sickness, anything that you go through is not a waste of time, but it's bringing you closer to Christ and showing you that you need him more than you realize. James 1, 2 through 2-4, one of my favorite passages. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? Not if, but when, right? The prosperity gospel, the false gospel will tell you this, that if you come to church, if you tithe, if you give, if you serve, if you do all of this, then God will take care of you. When that's furthest from the truth. You could do all of those things and yet you still suffer more than you ever could imagine. Imagine the missionaries and the martyrs, right? Go read, if you want to read a book about people dying for Christ, go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. One of my favorite books because it's these stories where people did all of the right things and yet they lost their heads, they lost their bodies, they lost everything for the cause of Christ. The prosperity gospel promises you a lot if you do certain things, but you see God is not a genie. Where if you do a certain magic, if you rub the lamp, if you pray a magic prayer, then things are just going to work out, right? It's not scriptural. But James continues, and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says you embrace that suffering you embrace every second of it. And it's not easy, right? It's it's easy to hear when you're out of it, but when you're in it, you're like, God, get me out of this. But instead, right, is the the prayer should be, God, give me wisdom to see the lesson that I need to learn through this. God, let me grow closer to you in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this darkness. Let me grow closer because I know it's going to be worth it in the end. If y'all can uh, stand with me. Let's look back one more time at Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life, true life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He alone makes us know the true path to eternal life. In his presence alone, there is fullness of joy. You want joy, get in God's presence and acknowledge him and pray to him and spend time with him. You want this fullness the Bible promises us that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's like you think, it's like me taking Elisha to Disney World. And him wanting to play with the sticks outside of the park because he doesn't understand the joy and amazing things waiting for him inside the park. And it's true. If I take Elisha right now, he'll go grab the sticks and just play with those and not care about any ride or Mickey or any character there. But you see, how many times do we stay outside the park and miss the good things that God has for us because all we want are the things that we think will bring us satisfaction when God says, I have so much more waiting for you. I have so much more in store for you. There's an old hymn. It says, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Some of you may know it. And uh, it says this, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying His perfect salvation to tell. So the band's gonna come back up as I pray. And so the question I just want you to respond to this is do you enjoy God? Do you actually enjoy God? Or do you enjoy his world that he created way more than him? Do you enjoy his things? Do you do you seek God more for him and to get to know him and to know him and experience him? Or do you seek God because you want his hand to give you blessings? Right, because you're missing out if you want his blessings more than God himself. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.